Hey guys, and welcome back to the Creative Podcast. We're your hosts, Ben, Chen, and Keaton. And today's topic is going to be on stories. So we're going to be talking about everything from what some of our favorite stories are to what we think makes a good story, and maybe even what we think is the greatest story ever told. So sit back and stay tuned. What are some of your favorite stories? Well, like, well, I mean, you say stories. Do you mean books or just like stories? Well, we honestly, have in just kind of anything. Just anything that has a story. It could be uh, movies, it could be books, it could be even music. Like, I know some bands that have some storytelling with their music. So, just really anything. Um, I guess I can go first. Um, I, I honestly prefer any kind of good struggle like good against evil i love those kinds of stories just the hope that comes from it i really enjoy um so things like say star wars or lord of the rings i'm a pretty big fan of some other stories like i would say the elder scrolls series if you know that it's a video game series Mm -hmm. by bethesda that's pretty good just um i also like really any kind of sci-fi or fantasy novel i'm honestly open to any kind of story i like most stories that i come across yeah um i'm big into books there's a lot of different book series i like there's one called the door within there's something called the circle series and if you read it you'll understand why it's circle um i'm also big into immersive storytelling so yeah, if anybody's yeah. been to a disney theme park or any really good well done theme park you'll understand what i'm talking about where you're put into that situation it's like you're living in that environment so like in disney they have a land themed after star wars and it really feels like you're there so that is one type of storytelling that i thoroughly enjoy yeah i think i love getting immersed in a story or anything like that because it just makes it feel more real to me like i i kind of use stories as a way to like i don't know exactly but just immersion something about it being able to feel like you're in the world with the characters and just being able to experience like in your mind just envision these cities or these landscapes things like that it's just really really cool to me yeah i mean another thing i love is like if you're taking a book and making a movie out of it there's there's some books and movies that don't go well together that they people make but um, the one one movie that I really love that was made uh, out of a uh, based on a book based on a book yes yeah. thank you um, was the Maze Runner because it's a uh, if if you guys have seen the Maze Runner or read the books you know they're in a weird box thingy that's covered by walls and it will so open a up maze. yeah <laughs> yeah um, I mean. And on the outside, there's a, the monsters. I forget what they're called. Um, you know, I've I was recommended that book. I um, went on a camping trip this past week, this past weekend, and one of my friends there actually recommended it to me because I, it's kind of dystopian from what I hear. Mm-hmm. And I'm also a pretty big fan of dystopian stories. Um, I actually have a couple concepts for some that I'm working on, but. Um, you know what's a really good dystopian story? 
and that was translated amazingly into the movies the hunger games series i've heard of that i've not really gone into the hunger games at all i've never been interested in it yeah i i really like it because obviously it's kind of brutal you have kids put in an arena to kill other kids to become the champion but the story and like the motives behind the different characters are so good like you can relate to those characters and recently within the last i think two years a prequel came out about one of the characters that we didn't know a ton about that was really good in their uh in the process of making a movie for that it's called the ballad of songbirds and snakes so do you think you choose the movie over the book or the book over the movie I would choose the book over the movie, but the movie... The movies are one of the best representations from book to movie that I've ever seen. It's the most accurate um, representation. Like, things like Harry Potter, once it gets later in the series, it's not extremely accurate to the books. Hunger Games is not that way. I've heard Harry Potter does not stay super true to the books when it comes to the films. Mm -hmm. And I know the films are good, but... They just don't represent the books well, from what I've heard. Exactly. So, yeah um switching notes what would you guys say makes a good story like what are those details that without these details it's not really that good of a story well i said earlier that i really enjoy struggles between good and evil kind of like an underdog or like mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm gonna take star wars for instance star wars i just love the concept of this like last remaining like fragment of the good guys going up against this seemingly unstoppable and powerful force and then going against all odds rising above and destroying the enemy mm-hmm. it's just something about like hope is one of my favorite topics to talk about yeah and just the hope that comes from that it's incredible do you have anything chen oh not on the top of my mind i will come up with something though something <laughs> will pop up well, I that know. actually, um, uh, if you don't mind me talking for a second, Keaton, yeah. I know you're about to say some stuff. <laughs> um, I think, although it's not necessarily required, but having a good villain or hero, mm-hmm. that can make, like, there. I can think of, I'm sure, many examples, just not off the top of my head right now, of movies or books or stories that have kind of just eh villains, like, or heroes even, like, where the hero is more unlikable than the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'll use uh, a movie by DreamWorks Shark Tale. I'm sure both of you know that one. It's been a while it's, since I've seen it. I don't it's like a late... It's like a mid-2000s, I think, is when it came out. Mm-hmm. And just the protagonist, Oscar, he is so unlikable and annoying. I mean, honestly, the whole movie is kind of bad, but we're not going to get into that. <laughs> but, um, but for an example of, like, a good hero and villain... Puss in Boots: The Last Wish. I that movie came out recently. I've, really good I've watched it twice now, um, and it's so good. Just because obviously there's three different villain types. You have like the sympathetic villain, the irredeemable villain, and the moral gray area villain. And mm-hmm. I'm not gonna spoil anything for it uh, in case uh, those listening have not watched it yet. But like, oh, it's so good because the villains are funny they're they serve their purpose mm-hmm. and they serve as a some um the, especially the moral gray area villain and the irredeemable villain serve as a actual present threat to the protagonists and actually going to the protagonists um puss his story arc is incredible of him feeling like he's invincible but then he's on his last life and then he realizes like I have to like he has to settle down. He doesn't want to, but he's just so prideful 
that it just like after he has retired for several uh days maybe even months he just feels like he's like he he would rather be dead like yeah. he just feels useless yeah um uh, though i've not seen the movie before there's this one clip um oh what's the villain he's from uh he's got the purple jacket what's jack his name? big jack, jack horner big jack horner yeah. there's a uh, one scene i've seen that is hilarious so we're gonna play the audio for that real quick it really does <laughs> You're not going to shoot a puppy, are you, Jack? Yeah, in the face. Why? Anyway, so that's a little bit ridiculous. Honestly, dude, er. I I love that scene. Just mm -hmm. in that single couple second scene, it captures the full essence of Jack Horner. Yeah. The yeah. whole point <laughs> of him is he is completely irredeemable, but he doesn't, like, he has no remorse for his actions. Like, mm -hmm. literally, he's like... Whenever Jiminy Cricket asks him, like, you're not going to shoot a puppy in the... Shoot a puppy, Jack. And Jack looks at him dead in the eyes and says, yeah, in the face. Why? And that why, I feel, is so crucial. Because it drives home the idea he doesn't see what he's doing is bad. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's, that, that's what most villains are like. They think doing all this bad stuff, in their eyes, it's good. Because, like, some villains want revenge. Like... Um, trying to name. Uh, you guys have any like villains who would like want? Why revenge? did one just escape my mind? Oh, mm, here's a Disney one. Jafar. He was kind of passed up his entire life. He came up from the dust and dirt of like the streets. Yeah. And like he's worked so hard, but it feels like every chance he's been given has been taken away from him. So he's driven by revenge in um a want for what he feels he deserves. Yeah. So yeah, it kind of falls in line with it. I know it's a little strange from what you said. Um, now something else I think makes a really good character is their motives one and two, what makes them relatable and that ties in with their motives. Yeah. So first off, like say it's a book. I really like it when an author gives you a good description about this character. It, they tell you first off, like general, like appearances, what they look like, but like who they are as a person, their struggles, their likes, um, what their life is like that can really draw you in. And when the character has things that are like another everyday man or another everyday person that you're like, I can relate to that because I have these same things in my life. And then for a villain, and this can go in tow with the hero, what their morals and what is causing the, them to do what they're doing. So for a hero, it might sometimes stories just like, I have to do this because there's a bad guy. So yeah, I must like save the, the world. Or like the chosen one trope where it's like, they're basically obligated. I kind of yeah. hot take. I kind of dislike the chosen one trope. I mean, it's good. It serves its purpose, mm -hmm. but because it brings in so many unintended issues, like plot armor, um, unnecessary plot armor, I should say. Mm -hmm. But just like, I I want to see. I've I've seen some things about this, but a story where it's the chosen one trope, but the chosen one immediately refuses to do it. Okay, that would be some, something. I don't know exactly how you would handle that, but just like where the chosen one does not want to do it at all, like they just want to say it's like a fantasy novel. They just want to stay at their farm mm -hmm. and uh, live their life. They want to refuse what they've been. And then perhaps maybe you could even have it like, and then this disaster or this like villain or this say it's like an army of evil or something comes to their town and completely destroys it, and then they're driven out of revenge instead of an obligation to do good 
Like, that... it changes the spin. Like, they're still, quote-unquote, the chosen. Oh, here's one. Here's a story that does something similar with the whole revenge story. Have you guys seen the newest The Batman? I've not I've not actually seen any of the, oh, of wait, the DC movies. Oh, wait, the one movies. that came out in 2022? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, that was such uh, a good first movie. First off, hats off to the cinematography and director. Um, that was just phenomenal. But... The whole point of the movie, and throughout the movie, Bruce Wayne slash Batman is saying, I am vengeance. He His whole motto is that he is vengeance against all these people who have done wrong. And I'm not going to spoil anything about the movie, but everybody who knows the origins of Batman is that his parents got killed. And he just is kind of left with this estate and is raised by his butler, um, Alfred. And this in this story, it is very explicit about his anger toward all these crime warlords and so his entire motive throughout the movie is living by vengeance and uh, to finish my thought i have to spoil something from the movie so this is your spoiler warning if you don't want to know the end of the movie if you've not seen it yet here it is batman like i said was running on vengeance the entire time that was his whole motivation but in the end in the very final fight scene the riddler who is the main villain of the movie is setting up a attack on city hall i believe it is it's some uh, there was some large event going on and he has many many um minions that he basically brought in through an online video long story you'll have to watch the movie but he one of these minions batman is about to kill he's lying on his back and just looking batman in the face as batman's looming over him and the villain goes i am vengeance and that is immediately when it clicks for batman that he's been running this show the wrong way. It's not because he's wanted to help people. It's because he's been drawing on his own anger towards these people, these bad guys. So while he is doing the job of the hero, he's not doing it in the right way. Yeah, he's doing it out of personal gain that he feels he needs to take revenge mm-hmm. for his own personal reasons. And yeah. in the end of the movie, there's a line that is so good. Um, the... The whole city of Gotham is below sea level, and the Riddler successfully blew up the dam, and it flooded the city. So tons of people were misplaced. The city was absolute ruin, and crime is starting to rise even then because there was less security in an already awful city. And Catwoman, who is kind of a good guy, kind of a bad guy in the movie, asks Batman if he's going to leave, and Batman says no. And when Catwoman asks him why, he responds by saying... The, this city, though irredeemable, deserves a chance. Even though it's beyond repair. That is a really good line, yeah. It's, I really like that, because it really shows of how much he's grown during the movie. And exactly. then you get to the end, he says that, it's like, he's ch- he's got, he's had a change in heart. Yeah, yeah, even though, like, the sound of it, it sounds like he's still kind of iffy on the subject, which, that would make sense. It's It would be a new concept to him. Mm-hmm. But he's willing to try. Exactly. So, uh, if you've not seen the movie, go watch it. You will not regret it. So good. So, yeah. You um, know, I, I honestly feel like it's kind of the same for the Lego Batman movie. Oh, I've which. heard that <laughs> that's like the most pure adaptation of yeah, Batman. Yeah, which is really good. It's like, beginning, he fights Joker, all his uh, minions and stuff like that. And then... He goes Joker, he's like, I don't need you anymore. He Joker flies off, Batman goes back to his cave. And just throughout the movie, 
Batman gets a little more, well, I would say depressed because he has no more villain to fight. He he has no more villains to fight. Mm-hmm. Like his main villain, Joker. He's just, he's sitting there yeah, like wondering... That's kind of similar, I would say, with Megamind. Like, honestly, Megamind is an outstanding movie. Mm -hmm. Really, really good movie. Um, But during it, obviously, Megamind um, ends up killing the hero. Yeah. But then he feels like... And he has everything he wants. He takes over the city. He goes on on a rampage of crime... And he gets rich, he steals a ton of artifacts, but then he's just, there's a scene where he's just sitting in City Hall in the mayor's office, and he's just contemplating what life means, because the whole, his whole life, it was, he would lose battles, he would almost win others, and but he always had a purpose with the hero. Mm-hmm. It was this constant, constant struggle. It, it was almost like a game to them. Yeah, and he enjoyed getting put in prison, because then he could make a interesting escape Mm -hmm. but he's just he has no purpose anymore once once he reached that that uh goal he set and this is the same for the lego batman movie honestly when uh joker was officially gone put away and batman had satisfied his uh desire to get rid of the joker both megamind who had taken over the city and batman who eliminated crime just felt like they had no purpose anymore. It was always yeah. like their life revolved around this struggle against another character. So once it was gone, it it was like, what is what is the point of it? Yeah, anymore? because yeah. Uh, Megamind's whole purpose was um, fighting um, Metro Man. Yeah, and his, his per- whole character was a villain. Yeah, and Batman's purpose was to fight the Joker. But once they're gone, they their purpose is gone. Which yeah. I could talk about more... Um, going off topic uh for it but i don't want to get into that because that would be a whole nother episode we could discuss agreed but honestly that that kind of makes me think if you could write a story or if you're dreaming of writing a story what would it be about like what kind of themes would you put into it would it be an obvious conflict would it be because there's lots of different stories we've not even touched on things like mystery that isn't always an obvious good versus evil. Now, yeah. there is typically a driving force in both directions. It's, a, but... it's more of a... Yeah, it's not as obvious because the good guys are trying to figure out who the bad guy is exactly. while the villain is in the shadows. He's trying to, like... A lot of the times there's, like, a bad guy pulling strings for different things. Like, they're quietly manipulating things and the good guys are like, what is going on? Who's behind this? So, in, in writing your own story... um, what, or if you've written a story or if you're going to where do you want to go with that is it going to be a very clear good versus evil are you going to put a ton of depth and detail into your characters why they are who they are uh-huh. or is it going to be a kind of you know mystery where um it's, there's not like a clear good versus evil and it's more like um like a slice of life type of story is yeah that what you mean yeah yeah i mean i have um like um I have a story I've been working on for well over a year now. Um, it's a I'm not gonna talk too much about it because I want to kind of save any uh, details about it. But it's a sci-fi, um, like a zombie apocalypse type story, mm-hmm. and I want to make it less so with a clear 
antagonist and more so about surviving. Yeah. I want to make it like there's going to be a clear antagonist. I have a ton of the story um, put down into words already, not as like a book, just the information. Uh, but I'm really excited to take it to take it somewhere because, like I said, I enjoy a good good versus evil story about good rising up against evil against all odds. But I also just like a good slice of life, like just a genuine, just like a struggle, like man against nature. Those stories are always really, really good, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yep. Uh, yeah, especially like how you're talking about it. It's nice to those the good versus evil stories. They can be written so well, and it's so nice. They're, they can be so good, and you can enjoy them. But it's also really nice when an author, a movie writer, producer, whatever, makes a story that's different from the rest. The driving oh, for plot, sure. The driving yeah. plot either it's not obvious, or it's so different from everything else you've seen. It's refreshing. It's refreshing to see a new idea. And sometimes some of my uh, favorite stories are those stories that do something different than anybody else has done or that barely anybody else has done. So, yeah. Um, yeah Chad, I, do you have any input? I know. Well, we're, we're kind of leaving you out, Chad. <laughs> uh, well, that's all right because I'm not really the biggest uh, – I'm not, I'm not really too big on um, story writing because I'm not the writer type. Uh, but um, I feel like a little key in but of what you just said – um, adding on to that, you need a good writer, like for movie, TV show, books, anything like that. Mm-hmm. You need those good writers to write something good for like, um, example, The Flash, which I love. Um, season one, really good, really good story. Season two, season three. And then it's just started going downhill at season four because the old writers, they, uh, they quit. Uh, new writers came in yeah, and it just started going downhill because they wrote stuff about just like random villains coming in instead of keeping on the main villain. Yeah, that's that's why a lot of the time uh, shows or movie series or book series even with a consistent storyline, after a long enough amount of time, they drop off in quality because the original story writers just are not a part of it anymore. And like... Or they're done with it. Like Yeah, they're done with it. Like, if you get... Uh, like, for Marvel, for instance. When you push and push and push... At this point, Marvel, the head of Marvel, it feels like they're more in tune with trying to make profits than it is the creative side. Yes. They so when realized... you're pushing your writers just to push out material, then you start to lose the quality. It's not the original story they envisioned. Yeah. Like, um, and actually going off of that point, it's like with Illumination and Disney mm-hmm. uh, and Star Wars even... They've gone to the point where they realize they don't need to try to make a profit, which I think is a crime against story writing. Yeah. Because you have these beautiful, well-done, amazing stories about these characters and these worlds and these locations, but then you just throw it all away for the sake of profit. Exactly. Yeah. One thing that makes a story good, I feel like a story can't be good, truly good without a satisfying end oh that's for sure sure. if it only keeps going like there's no satisfaction to the story because it just goes and drags on and drags on it's when you can have an ending that makes your reader go it's i'm content you know it's kind of like toy story 
Yeah, they, oh, they yes. could they could have ended it on Toy Story three because that was a very good ending. Like Andy gave his toys away to and then uh, he Bonnie, moved, and then he moved and away he to moved college. Away. But yeah. I will I will say sorry for interrupting you, right. Chen. Toy Story three was a unneeded but good sequel. Agreed. It was yes. absolutely they did not need it. I'm sure. Uh, Disney Pixar was just salivating at the thought of Toy Story merch. <laughs> yeah, and no kidding. Oh, yeah. But, like I said, it was unneeded. But it was good. It was an actually amazing story. I loved it. I they still put good effort into it. They put effort into it. That's all you need is effort and time but put into a story. Now, with Disney, how they've been these days, remaking all their lives. All their original stuff to sequel live fe- action uh, sequels. Sequel fever. But <laughs> also Toy Story Four, which was definitely not needed. Yeah. And was like, w- <sighs> why make another Toy Story when you could have ended on Toy Story Three, which had a great ending? Instead, you go and just like nothing against like Bonnie or anything. Yeah, like. I'll go off on a tiny on a short tangent. I'll try and stay on topic still. It's fine. But sequels are a very careful art, especially if your movie was a standalone. Like I'll take Shrek for instance. Mm-hmm. Shrek ended off like where it was not intended to be a. There was no sequel intended, but Shrek Two is a fantastic sequel. Not necessarily a good movie, but a fan like a good standalone movie, but a fantastic sequel. Because there's a criteria for a sequel that it needs to meet for it to be good. Mm-hmm. Because the concept of a sequel implies, like, say you have a fantasy story and in the ending, like, there's the happily ever after. A sequel implies that, no, there was not actually a happily ever after. There's this bigger, badder villain that's even more of a threat that the hero has to stop. But, like, with Shrek 2, I'll go back to that, because mm-hmm. it's, like I said, a really good sequel. It expanded on the world. It brought in a new villain that was perfect. It it was just all around a great sequel. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, going off the topic of uh, great sequels and great stories, what do you guys think is the greatest story ever told? Like, I, I know that's a pretty heavy question. It's a pretty bo- broad question, that's yeah, for sure. What, just your... The greatest story for whatever reason. When I think stories, I think, like we've kind of talked about for the last 30-some minutes-ish, it it revolves around a good versus a bad guy. You, you kind of have that constant struggle. Yeah. Whether it's how it's interpreted, how it's spelled out to the reader, but it's kind of always just good versus bad. But I think to find out what my favorite story would be, is you need to find the best hero and the villain that you can detest the most. The one that is... I I like a redeemable villain, but I also really like it when there's a villain that can't come back. When yes. it is so evil that it has like, to be destroyed. I'll go back to Push, Puss in Boots' Last Wish. The whole point of Big Jack Horner is he is completely irredeemable. Exactly. Like, he goes against that trope that has kind of come up of villains being super relatable and still being human. Mm-hmm. When that sometimes is not true. There's just sometimes these people that are just pure evil and completely irredeemable. Like, um, I'll use one from what I think, that, at least for the thing that I can think of right now, is one of my favorite stories and what I think is the greatest story. 
is an audio drama called Adventures in Odyssey. I'm sure you guys yes. have I've told yeah. you about it before. But there's a villain in it um, uh, named Dr. Blaggard, Dr. Regis Blaggard. And he is supposed to be the, like, personification of everything contrary to the main characters. And the final episode with him where he dies is him talking with one of the characters. And that character is there to try and redeem him. But Dr. Blaggard says to him, I forget the exact line, but um, there's no hope for me. I sold my soul long ago. Um, And it's just... A fantastic story because it drives so it's an audio drama for um it's primarily for like children and young teens mm-hmm. um though anyone people of any age can enjoy it but it drives home the point that unfortunately there are people that can't be redeemed like that's just a fact of this world is there anything any stories you have chen um i mean sort of um there is one annoying thing yeah. that I wish movies would uh, actually do. What? Is, yeah, you have the main character, which is the hero, and you have the villain, which is, I guess, I don't know if you call them main character, not. I mean, they're, they're one of the main characters. They're a main character. I would just say. Because um, they're, they're the, a driving point of the story. They're yeah. the antagonists. Okay, but one thing yeah. is, movies, movies not, not just these days, but back then, they always have the hero defeat the villain oh yeah i actually want a movie where the hero always doesn't get it get his or her way where the yeah, hero where, where the villain wins the, the hero fails for once they've and the villain actually wins. I've, I've seen that before what um what can't think of i think it's a show um where the hero ends up losing for once i i see what you mean yeah like it's kind of gone a little tiresome that good always wins of course good will always win mm-hmm. in the end but i like it whenever a movie series or a film or like a show a tv show or like a book mm-hmm. has the heroes defeated for once only to come back and win in the end like it gives them the push that they need to actually defeat that film. yes i can't again i can't think Here, of any of the stories does it. in okay this is where marvel should have been Infinity War into Endgame. I feel like that would have been a, a nice end to the Marvel Universe. But anyway, that aside, in Infinity War, Thanos wins. That He gets the gauntlet, he gets all the Infinity Stones, and he snaps away half the universe. They just turn to dust, and then he retires on a planet. He did what he came to do, and the heroes lost. Of course. I think, like, the Endgame, though, that scene in Endgame near the end, where Captain America is all by himself wielding his shield and Mjolnir and he's standing there staring out at Thanos's mass army mm-hmm. filled with just thousands upon thousands of men and machinery and flying enemies and Thanos himself and I forget the name of his like right hand men whatever what I are forget, they called I forget but yeah, yeah I know I know who you're talking about but and he's standing there and he's ready to take them on and He's then, undefe- undefeatable, or undefeatable at that point. Like, how could they win? Yes, like, all hope is lost, but Captain America sees it and realizes he and the other Avengers, who I think at that, if I remember correctly at that point, are kind of, like, um, incapacitated, like, they can't help. Yeah. And he realizes, I am the only thing stopping this planet from being destroyed. 
But then he hears a sound and he turns around and sees a portal from Doctor Strange open up as those he thought was lost steps through. And it's this fantastic scene where just progressively more and more portals open up as everyone that had died in the snap or had been turned to dust or whatever it was mm-hmm. comes back. And the score perfectly complementing it and then the final part of that where mjolnir flies into his hand i th- I actually don't think he was holding it at the time but he, it flies he's into his standing hand. there and he's ready to fight and he goes avengers uh, he he calls me like he in. calls mjolnir in. it hits his hand he pulls back and then he yells and avengers and then he stares directly at thanos and says assemble and they all charge forward, both sides and coming then, towards and then, each and other. And then another thing I love about that is you have the original Avengers theme playing in the background while they're running it's towards so the army. That would have been a beautiful ending to the MCU. It, it would really have. Would've. Honestly, the but of course, the MCU is not going to stop making movies. They, they, need, they need slash want the money. Yeah. But I just want all three of us just give one example of what you think is like your favorite story just what is your absolute favorite story well i personally love diary of wimpy kid i love the books i've read almost every book and i've seen the movies and they're really good movies i won't get into that that'll that'll be saved for another time yeah what about you keaton um, I would say that my favorite and what I think is one of the best stories of all times is the Lord of the Rings books. Oh, for sure. An amazing trilogy, great story arc, amazing characters. I love it. I mean, I haven't really watched it in a while because I haven't had the chance, but one of my favorite fantasy stories would have to be Tales of Arcadia, specifically the first part of the trilogy, Troll Hunters. So good. I absolutely adore it. But... I think we need to stop for a second, guys, and consider the true greatest story. Why it's so great is because it really happened. It was about 2,000 years ago that it happened. This group of people named the Israelites were under oppression from the Roman Empire, and they had been longing for someone to come and save them. And they thought it was going to be some glorious grand entrance of this savior, but it wasn't. It was a baby that entered the world through a virgin named Mary. And he was born in a small town of Bethlehem, what was seen as one of the smallest and most uninteresting towns. And he was, he grew up with them, raised by Mary and her husband, Joseph. But there was something special about this young boy. Do you guys, you guys know where I'm going with this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, not only was he born in a small, pretty insignificant city in the country of Jerusalem, he also was moved to a even smaller and more so despised town called Nazareth. A saying was going around then and um, was even referenced later in conversation between someone who was friends of this, this hero. Um, the words were, the, there was a guy who asked, how can anything good come from Nazareth? How can anything good come from Nazareth? It was seen as lowly, a place for criminals, and nothing good could really come from there. It was the story of unlikeliness, of something that didn't come as it was expected to be. Yeah, but I'm sure some of you listening already kind of know where we're going with this, but 
this man's name was Jesus Christ or Jesus. And he was sent by God, our Heavenly Father, as a way to save us from the error of our ways, from our sins. And he, instead of sending us to death, took death upon him by dying a criminal's death on the cross, suffering greatly. He was whipped, beaten. He was whipped with the cat of nine tails. And if you don't know what that is, it's a brutal way to torture someone it's called scourging and usually if they people don't die from just that they're left bleeding out and in immense pain a crown of thorns was crudely woven and put on his head and pushed down so that the thorns pierced into his head and he was brought and he was brought to a place called golgotha which means place of the skull and he was put up on a cross and crucified and died. Yeah, but you you know the amazing thing about that is he died for us. He died he, for us. He sacrificed himself so he could save us. Yes. But the amazing part of the story is like we said this man he wasn't just any man. He was the literal son of God. And you know what else is amazing? His crucifixion and death is not the end of the story. Three days later, lying in a tomb, a sealed tomb guarded by Roman soldiers, he arose. But the amazing part, guys, is that's not where it ended. It didn't just end with his death on the cross. Three days later, he was presumed to be dead because at that time, after a corpse was in the tomb for three days, it really started to smell because the decomposition came in and the body started to decompose and deteriorate. But something amazing happened. This Jesus, the Son of God, who had just died three days ago on the cross for us to save us from our sins, rose from the dead and walked again, proving that death did not have any power over him. And not only did death not have power over him, death had no power over those who followed him. He invited anyone who believed in him as God's true son to come and share in that life that he was given. So not only was death thrown off from him, but he had the power to deny death to anyone who followed him and truly believed him as the Messiah. Those who follow him gain eternal life. They're always going to be a a follower of Jesus. But we don't mean physical death. Physical death will happen to all of us. It's natural. And it's a result of the fall in Genesis. You can read about it if you have a Bible. But he saved us from spiritual death, eternal damnation in hell. And he invited us to have an alternate ending to our life instead of eternal suffering in this terrible, terrible place. Eternal life in heaven with him, forever united with him, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Our story, unlike all the other stories that we've talked about so far, I know earlier I said that the best stories have an ending. But there's one story better than all that doesn't have to have an ending, and that is our life with Christ. If we truly believe in him, we don't have to have this physical life as our ending. We can, in fact, be brought to heaven with him where our life does not end, and we can share in the eternal life he offers. Yeah. Alrighty, guys, I think that's a great place to leave off today's episode. Agreed. Well, if you really enjoyed this, epi- this episode, 
make sure you give us a follow on Spotify and head on over to Instagram. Look for our account, The Creative Podcast Show. Talk to you guys later, and remember, stay creative.